0: So we're going to jump into God's Word today, John chapter 11. Would you, if you have your copy of God's Word, would you open it to John chapter 11? The verses we're going to look at this morning are verses 28 through 37. I'm going to read them and then we'll we'll see what the Lord will say to us out of His Word. John 11, starting in verse 28. It says, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling you. This is the text we're going to look at this morning. I've titled the message, The Weeping Messiah. The Weeping Messiah. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this section of John 11 and the richness that we're going to be able to to squeeze out of this section. and, And dig out of this section the truths from your word and how it's going to reveal who you are. And it's going to encourage us and strengthen us and sanctify us. I pray that every single person here this morning would have ears to to hear and a heart to receive what you would say to them out of your word. And I just pray that you would do your work here today. And God, I pray that you would help me this morning to open my mouth, to preach your word, and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So why do people cry? Why do people cry? Why do people weep? Jesus wept. Why do, people, why do people cry? What are the reasons why? We cry because of grief. We cry because we're sad over situations we face. We cry when we're, we're hurt physically. How many of you have kids and whenever they fall down on the concrete and they skin their knees or their elbows, they come in crying. You know, we cry when we hurt ourselves. We we cry whenever maybe we get a diagnosis from the doctor. and we, We're filled, filled with grief and we, we cry. We're moved to tears. We, we cry because maybe we feel hopeless. We cry because maybe we feel broken. We, we, we cry maybe even on the other end of the spectrum. How, how many of you have cried because you were happy? you cry because you're celebrating and you you, you've been working hard to accomplish something and and you you accomplish it and you get to the end and you cry I was watching a basketball player last night for the University of Arkansas who won last night and the interviewer was asking him about the journey he was on and and the kid he was you know 19, 20, 21 years old and he's just big old guy six foot whatever you know big old man and He's crying. You can just see the emotion. He was excited, and she asked him, Well, why do you feel so emotional? He said, Because of the hard work. Because of the hard work. Sometimes we cry when we accomplish something that's been hard. It's been hard work. Sometimes we cry because of empathy. Because of empathy, because we are feeling what others are feeling. Sometimes we cry when we're in love. Did you cry whenever you propose to your spouse, husbands? Did you cry wives when you said yes, when your husband finally proposed, right? Well, WebMD asked the question, I asked the question of why people cry, and WebMD gave us some information. It says some people are more likely to cry than others. For starters, women cry 60% more than men. Women cry 60% more than men, and men, do you believe that? Well, well, it might be... Not all the reasons why you think. Well, the, here's some reasons why WebMD said that. Usually, men have smaller tear ducts. Uh, usually, uh, te- it's true. It's just WebMD. I, I don't know. I'm just regurgitating some information here. Um, usually, men have more testosterone, which may inhibit crying. Uh, they have less prolactin. Don't know what that is, but I think it's a hormone that promotes tears. Uh, and men often are not encouraged to cry. But I think the real reason 60%... Uh, women cry 60% more of the time is because women are married to men. And men make women cry. Come on, guys. What about the Bible? Biblical accounts of crying. We have biblical accounts of crying throughout the Bible. Here's just a few. Abraham cried when his wife Sarah died, Genesis 23. Esau wept for his father's blessing, Genesis 27:38. Hannah wept because she couldn't have children, 1 Samuel 8. David and Jonathan wept when they had to part ways, 1 Samuel 20, 41. A prostitute wept at Jesus' feet, Luke 7, 38. Peter wept bitterly over his denial of the Lord, Luke twenty two sixty two. 62. Mary Magdalene wept outside the tomb of Jesus in John 20. And Paul wept in anguish over the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 2. One of the most... Other than what we're going to look at today in John 11, one of the most profound uh, scriptures, I think, of someone crying is Peter. When he denied the Lord and the rooster crowed, it says that he wept bitterly. Can you imagine denying the Lord? I'd, I'd weep bitterly too, right? There's many more examples of crying in Scripture, but in our text this morning, we see Martha weeping. We see Mary weeping. We see the crowd with them weeping. We see their family weeping, and and we see Jesus weeping. Everyone is weeping in this text this morning that we're going to look at. And the theme of these ten verses that I read earlier is undoubtedly the emotional response of Jesus. So often we we don't like to talk about the emotional response of Jesus, but Jesus was, was God, truly God, but he was truly man. And he was emotional, and he was moved by his emotions. His emotions would be stirred up, and, and this is who he was, and we see his emotions. This, the theme of this section is the weeping of Jesus. And so the question we're going to seek to answer is, is, why does Jesus weep? Why does he weep? Why does he weep in John 11? Why does he weep? And, and the main point of this section, I believe, the main answer to this is that our Lord Weeps because he's touched by the brokenness that he sees in his creation. That's, that's the main reason, I think, the main point, the main answer to it. But there's some other answers that we can dig out of this text as to why Jesus weeps. Why does he weep? We'll look at three reasons for our Lord's tears in John 11, in these 10 verses. The first one is this. If you'd follow along, it would be in your handout in your notes. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Jesus weeps because of the unbelief of the people. Jesus weeps or he's moved because of the unbelief of the people. Look back at the text, John 11, 33, as we, as we go through this. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Deeply moved and greatly troubled when he saw Martha Mary weeping when he saw her weeping Mary weeping and he saw the crowd that was with her weeping he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled so a little recap Jesus had had a conversation with Martha who had ran to meet him on the road and Pastor Tim preached about that last week I want to thank Pastor Tim for doing an amazing job last week handling God's word and so we, we saw last week Jesus had this conversation with Martha. And what does Martha say whenever she gets to Jesus? She says, Lord, if you had been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. The one you loved wouldn't have died. My brother wouldn't have died. And if, if you notice, Martha didn't wait around for Jesus to get there. What did Martha do? She got up and ran. She's like, I, I, I'm tired of waiting around here. I'm a doer, and we're going to get her done, and we're going to go get the Lord, and I'm going to let him know what he should have done. Right? So Jesus begins to talk to Martha, and, and he kind of says this. He says, he says, look, look, Martha, I, I think you're, 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 you're missing this. You're missing the point. You're not understanding what's happening here. And he begins to talk to her about who he is, and he makes the most, one of the most profound statements in the Gospel of John. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet will he live, and everyone who believes in me will never die. And he looks at Martha, and he says, do you believe this? What's well, Martha's answer? Yes, Lord. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So she says, Yes, I believe. And, and now after Martha gets this revelation of who Christ is, and she makes this confession of him as Lord, then the attention turns to Mary, and this is where the attention is in our text. And, 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 and Mar- Mar- Martha goes back to the village and he tells, she tells her sister Mary, the master is calling for you. He's calling for you. He wants to see you. The teacher is here, and he wants to see you. He wants to see you. As I was studying, I couldn't help but stop at that one point here. This is not a part, main point of the message, but, but isn't that beautiful to know that the Lord can see you? He can see you. He sees everyone at the same time. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows He has perfect knowledge of everyone's situation. He he knows globally what is happening, but he knows you in your bed at night when you're up because you can't sleep. He knows your situation. He knows what you are walking through. He knows you. Isn't that powerful? Martha, excuse me, Mary, the master's calling you. The teacher's calling you. He wants to see you. He wants to see you. So Mary gets up. She gets up and the text you read earlier says she got up and she was weeping and she goes and the crowd, it said in the text there that they thought she was going to go to the tomb and continue her weeping. So the whole crowd gets up and follows. And a little side note here, this is something you, 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 you learn as you study a, a Jewish funerals and what would what, what happen. It was not just a one day, a two or three hour experience. It was days long of a ceremony and, and grieving, grieving and mourning and and, and those who were, were, were poorer, uh, um, they, would, they would actually uh, hire people, uh, those who couldn't have big families or was, they're not well-to-do, they, sometimes they would even hire uh, professional mourners, if you can imagine that. People that would come and, and mourn with the family and, and, and would weep and wail. And so it was this huge scene that was happening. So I want you to catch that scene. There's a crowd of people. It's not just Mary. It's not just Martha. It's not just the family. But this village is is, is with them in this. And they are all mourning together. There's weeping and wailing and and loud noise of, of mourning. And so Martha gets to Jesus. And what does she say when she gets, excuse me, Mary gets to Jesus. What does she say when she gets to Jesus? She repeated what her sister said. Lord, if you had you'd been here my brother would not have died so what is jesus's response to mary to the same question that martha asked look 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 back to the text john 11:33 when jesus saw her weeping he was deeply moved and greatly troubled. So, so this is what we see. This is his response to the crowd. Get the scene. It's the crowd of people. It's not just Mary. It's not just Martha. Not just their family. There's a crowd of people. Maybe even close to a hundred people are with her, and and they're going to see Jesus. They're following Mary, to weep with her. Jesus is greatly, deeply moved in the spirit, and greatly troubled. And it's interesting. That word there, I think, gives us the clue as to, as to his response, his first response. That that phrase, deeply moved and greatly troubled, this is what it means, that that phrase means this, to rebuke, to act sternly, or have intense feeling of concern, or even exhibit irritation. That's what that phrase mean, means, to to be deeply moved and greatly troubled. And so it's not this first reaction of our Lord, really, I think I couldn't get past this without, I, I wanted to hurry to Jesus wept, because I think there's some, other meaning there with Jesus weeping. But, the, but, but this jumped out at me, and I think this is what I see, this is what the text shows us, that, that he, he looks out and Jesus is weeping, he's mourning over the unbelief of the people. He's, 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 he, there's, this, there's this unsinful irritation, there's this rebuke, there's this sternness, he's, 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 he's stirred in his spirit, he's greatly troubled over what he sees, he's weeping at the unbelief of the people, unbelief. Didn't we see that throughout the entire ministry of Jesus? But what else did we see throughout the entire ministry of Jesus? We saw miracle after miracle. We saw feeding of thousands of people. We saw raising of other dead people. We saw healing of blind people. We we saw miracle after miracle. Some theologians say that that it would be possible to even say that, that sickness was cured for three years, three and a half years, while Jesus walked the earth in the Judea region because of all the miracles that he did Nazareth was the only place because of his hometown that he couldn't do any miracles but everywhere else wherever Jesus went he healed the sick he was full of compassion he would heal everyone but but yet you see you see in this weeping in this mourning in this loud display of emotion you can imagine the Lord you can imagine that feeling would you not believe? would you not believe? Would you not trust? Don't you know by now? How often did we hear the, the disciples that they would be confused and that he wouldn't understand and Jesus would, would have to rebuke them and say, oh, you have little faith. Do you not know? I mean, think about it. Think about it. He, he calmed the sea, the winds and the waves. Would you not believe if I have power of creation that I, could, I can heal this man? That it's not over yet? Do you think it's over because it's past three days? It's been four days since he died, and so you just see this unbelief. You know, even at the end of Jesus' ministry, who was left at the end of his ministry when he died on the cross? A bunch of Marys. He had three Marys at the cross. Everyone else had fled. Everyone else had left. At the, after, even after his resurrection, how many were left for the birth of the church? 120. Right? After the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem and the Judea region that saw his miracles, even after the miracle of the resurrection, even after him showing himself, you had 120 people that were there. Unbelievable. Belief, unwilling to believe. I think Jesus is moved by this picture of unbelief. He he weeps over unbelief, and I think we see this in other places of Scripture. One that stands out is Luke 19, and I think Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jerusalem is the center of worship, right? It's where the temple is, it's where the feasts were celebrated, and so in Jerusalem you see this picture in Luke 19 where Jesus is looking over the city, and he's thinking about the unbelief of Jerusalem and how as a whole they rejected him and they were going to reject him in spite of all that he did look at Luke 19 and when he drew near and saw the city he what he wept over it saying would that you even you had known on this day the things that make for peace but now they are hidden from your eyes For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because, listen, this is so important, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus is weeping over Israel, over Jerusalem, the center of worship. He's weeping because they did not know the time of their visitation. What what, what does that mean? it means they did not comprehend who he was when he came and walked the earth. God visited man, and they didn't believe. So when Jesus is walking into this scene, after all that he has done, I believe this human reaction of, of, could you not believe? Look at the depth of unbelief, all that I've done, all that I've shown. I think this is a righteous anger mixed with love altogether. He's deeply moved. He's, He's greatly troubled. It's kind of like this, have you, ever, have you ever taught somebody something? Maybe you're a boss and you teach an employee something and you show them the pattern in which this has to take place on the job and you show them and you go over it and over it and over it and, 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 and they keep forgetting, they don't do it the right way and you have to keep coming back and, and keep coming back and they still don't get it. Parents, maybe with kids, you, you show them, you show them, you, you demonstrate, you demonstrate and they, they still don't get it, they still don't get it and at some point you can be deeply moved and greatly troubled, Right? We get sinful in that reaction, but Jesus is not sinful here. This is just, I think, the overwhelming of human emotion as, as, as God but fully man. Would you not believe? Would you not trust that, that, that even if it looks like all hope is gone, it's not over? I'm here. I'm God. Do you not see it? Do you not see it? The, the, this, is, this is the picture here, uh, I was reminded of this as I was studying. Uh, uh, Jennifer Daigle, didn't expect to hear her name today, I'm sure, called. But she sent my wife a text message, and it was like this meme, whatever. And I don't think Jennifer wrote it. Maybe she did. But, but she sent this meme, and I think it fits so perfectly right here. It said something like this. I was given permission by my pastor to panic when God starts to panic. I was given permission, and I give you permission, to panic when God starts to to panic Jesus is walking up on this scene what does he see? Panic everywhere mourning everywhere he walks onto the scene is he panicked? No he's not panicked why? Because he's God and he knows it's not over till he says it's over so the question for us in this first picture that we see of the emotions of our Lord is is will we believe? what situation are you facing? What are you walking through? What's been dead in your life for four days? And it looks like it's gone. It's over. No more resurrection. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe you're here today and you think it's over and it's been a lot longer than four days. Maybe you're married and you think your marriage is over. I'm here to say it is not over. God can reconcile and God can heal. God can do a miracle in your marriage. What you think's over it's not over unless God says it's over. So what are you believing for? What are you waiting for? What, what, are, you, what are you discouraged over? Will you, believe? will you believe? Will you trust God? Has he not proven himself over and over and over as Jesus proved himself over and over and over again to all of Jerusalem, to all of Israel? He proved himself over and over again. Would, would they not believe? Will, will we not believe? Will we not trust God? Now now listen we may not like the temporary circumstances we find ourselves in cuz my brothers and sisters they are temporary we may not like them but we must trust god we must believe god why because he is worthy of our trust amen so why is Jesus weeping here in John 11? I think the first answer is right there in, in, this, in this idea of greatly moved and de- deeply moved and greatly troubled. It, it's this sense of, of he sees the unbelief and it moves him. Will they not believe me? I think Jesus is weeping because of the unbelief of the people. And secondly, if you're taking notes, number two, Jesus weeps because of the effects of sin and brokenness. He sees the unbelief, but, but I think I think we'll see in the text he's, he's, he's weeping because of the effects of sin and brokenness. Look look, look back to the text again. John 11, 34 and 35, and he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. So here's the scene, where where have you laid him? Can you picture it? Jesus is walking up, all the weeping, all the wailing, the lack of faith, the belief that it's all over. And he's like, okay, guys, where's he at? That's how I picture Jesus saying it. Okay, where is he? Now, now you think Jesus needed information about where Lazarus was? He could just walk right straight to the tomb. When Jesus asks questions, it's not because he needs information. Right? So, I, 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 think, I think he's like, all right, guys, where is he? Let's stop this bring me to the tomb. Right? Where, where is he? It's time to fix the situation. It's time to build the faith of those that are watching this. Then, after he says, where is he? Then the shortest verse in all the Bible, two words. Two short words, a noun and a verb, a name and an action. Jesus wept. Two power-packed words. Perhaps, as some scholars say, these two words are the most impactful words in all of Holy Scripture. I, I love what David Mathis says about these two words. Listen, just two simple words, and yet they carry a world of significance. John eleven thirty five 35 is the shortest verse in all the Bible, but one of its most powerful and insightful. Rightly was this tiniest of sentences assigned its own number. Amen? So the weeping of Jesus here, that we see Jesus wept, is different than the weeping and the wailing and the noise of Mary and Martha in the crowd and the professional mourners that are crying with her. The hired hands that are mourning, right? They were loud. They were over the top. They were weeping and wailing. But when it says here that Jesus wept, these two words that are power-packed, filled with meaning, when it says he wept, there's a different meaning. The, The word here, it's translated to mean this, a silent bursting of tears. It's a silent bursting of tears. This is what it would have been like, based upon what we see in this text. Have you ever cried? You've been weeping and you're quiet and your your shoulders start to shake. You can't control it, right? I can picture Jesus. He comes up to the scene. He sees the weeping and the wailing and the noise and the crowd and the commotion. And he says, where is he? Where have you laid him? He goes with the crowd and he gets to the tomb and he's looking at the scene. And he just bursts into tears. His shoulders are shaking, and, and it's the idea here the meaning of Jesus wept. It's the idea in the Greek of, of just tears rolling down his cheeks. Can you picture it? Jesus looking at this scene, at everyone there, and he's just crying. There's a deepness. It's this idea of this deep well within him that is bursting out into tears, but it's this deep groaning. It's a silent weeping, tears falling down his face. And and I believe it is because of a deep sorrow over a fallen world that is entangled in the curse of sin. Certainly, Lazarus did not die because he sinned. Lazarus died because all have sinned. And all are under the curse of sin and we all die. What was the curse that was fallen, that fell on Adam and Eve when they rebelled against God and and has thrust all of us into the same curse? What was the curse that that, that they would die? They didn't get immediate death in the garden, but they were promised that they would die physically. Physically. And there's the curse of sin, and, and I believe Jesus is looking at all of those that are under the subjection to the curse of sin, and it's just b- weeping, it's groaning over the brokenness of humanity. I mean, think about it. What do we know about Jesus? Well, we know he's man, but we know he's God, and, and as God, what did John tell us when we study John chapter 1? In the beginning was what? Was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it also says there in John 1 that, that nothing that was made was made without Jesus. Everything that was made was made through Jesus. Jesus is the Lord of creation. So the Lord of creation is standing at the tomb of Lazarus. And he's looking at the brokenness of his creation because of the rebellion of sin. And the effects, the multiplied impact of what is happening. It's This groaning it reminds me of Romans chapter 8. You guys remember Romans 8? Look at verses 23 through 23. For, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The creation itself is groaning. It's this word picture, uh, creation can't groan, right? But it's this idea, this, this human picture of creation itself. The physical earth is groaning, longing to be made new. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, what do we do? We groan inwardly, waiting eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You guys ready for the redemption of your bodies? You ready to stop getting sick? Are you ready for your body to stop breaking down? Are you ready for the the removal of of temptation to sin? Right? So it is with our Lord. He has compassion. He's groaning inwardly in this moment, I believe. Uh, he, he, it, it's a reflection of his heart of compassion. Jesus wept. He's weeping at the scene. He has a heart of compassion. Look what Matthew nine thirty six says. The thousands of people that followed him when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This is our Lord. This is why he weeps. He's full of compassion. I love it. Theologian B.B. Warfield says about this, he says, it was a depth of feeling in which your feelings and longings churn within you. Sin can often restrain emotions of compassion, right? B.B. Warfield says, what would unrestrained emotions of compassion be like? What would unrestrained emotions of compassion be like? He says this, this is what Jesus felt, perfect, unfiltered compassion. Compassion. Sin stains our compassion. Jesus had perfect, unfiltered compassion. It's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He's, he's weeping. He feels the brokenness. And I believe that Jesus walks up to the place where Lazarus is buried. Mary and Martha are broken. The family is broken. The entire village is caught up in this sorrow. And in that moment, Jesus is overcome with the sorrow that is the result of sin and brokenness a groaning and weeping over those who've been held captive by Satan and his lies. You know Satan's a liar. He's the father of lies. He's a liar. And many are held captive to his lies today. Do you see the brokenness in our world today? You have to be blind not to see it, really. You, you, you watch the news, you pay attention What's going on? You know how, look how broken our world is. Why is our world broken? Because we throw off God. Because we don't want God. God is our creator, but we don't want God. We don't want his ways. We rebel against his ways as creation. We've thrown him off when we're, we're reaping the whirlwind of brokenness in our society. We throw him off. And and really two ways that I think really profoundly impact our society. In one way, we we throw them off. We say, I I don't want God so much that I'm going to deny that I can be either male or female. I'm going to say that I don't want God so much that I'm going to embrace as a society that the way that God designed me. Biologically, I don't even want that restraint. Another way that we throw off God is with our sexuality. God has given sex to be enjoyed in the confines of marriage, and our society says, no, I don't want that. I don't want God. I want sex however I want it, whenever I want it, with whomever I want it. And my brothers and sisters, do you see the brokenness around that? And I think this is what Jesus is seeing. He's seeing the brokenness, and, and this is what we see. He, he sees the brokenness in, in, in Israel's day, in ancient Palestine, but, but look at the brokenness all around us. People throw off God as creator. I don't want him as creator in my physical life. I don't want him as creator in, in my sexuality. I want my way. And you see the brokenness of the world. Look at, think about all the pain in society. It can, it can, it can be traced back to the way in which we embrace God as creator or we don't? Are we gonna follow his ways about gender, who we are, our sex? Are we gonna follow God in his ways as concerning marriage and family? Are we gonna follow God in his ways concerning human sexuality? Will we follow God? Think of the divorce, think of the abuse, right? multiplied brokenness, this is the weight, this is the weight, you know, The same lie from the beginning is being repackaged in a million different ways for new generations to ponder. What is the lie? From the beginning, Genesis 3, did God really say? Right? Did God really say? People answer that question over and over again through a million different lies in a million different ways. It's kind of like this. It's like the cheese on a a mousetrap. You guys ever try to catch a mouse? It's like the cheese on a mousetrap. The lie looks real, doesn't it? The lie looks real. None of us really care about mice, so we don't mind deceiving the mice, do we? But this is what Satan's lies are like. The, the cheese looks real. It smells like cheese. It looks like cheese. It looks like it's going to satisfy. It looks like it's going to fill us. It looks like the mouse is going to come away with a quick little meal. But, but what's the end result? The end result of believing the lie is like the mouse taking the cheese on the on the mouse trap it's this there is a deadly trap that is spring loaded and ready to come down with all the force necessary to keep its victim held captive and i believe that in this scene of our lord weeping he's moved with compassion and he's weeping over the effects of sin and disobedience and the decay and death that results So here's a couple questions for us to ponder today when we think about this. How have we bought into lies that will only result in unnecessary pain? Right? As God's people, how do we buy into lies? How do we buy into lies? We we, we all do, right? From time to time, we can buy into lies. We can buy into the lie of the culture. Think about it. How, How have we looked at what God's word says, and we've looked at what the culture says, and we've chosen in moments and times and situations, we've chosen, we've said, no, I, I'll choose my way. I'll choose the world's way. And we unnecessarily suffer. We unnecessarily go through brokenness. We unnecessarily go through pain. It's the cheese on the mousetrap. It's the brokenness of the world. What about this question? Do we mock? Judge or feel anger towards those who openly rebel against God? Or do we weep over those who were held captive by Satan's lies? Do we, do we weep over those who are ca- held captive by his lies? I, I love what Paul tells t- t- to Timothy about false teachers who are depraved. He says this, God may perhaps grant them, 2 Timothy 2, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. When we look at the world today, how do we respond to those who say, I don't want God. I want my way. Do we weep like I believe our Lord was weeping at the brokenness of sin and disobedience and the effects of death and decay? Or do we stick our nose up and we judge and we don't have compassion towards them and pray for them and believe that, that there would be hope that they could escape from the snare of the devil which we used to be snared and entrapped in? Two very important questions for us to ponder. So... I believe as we seek to move on here, I believe that Jesus is weeping here for a few reasons, for three reasons for sure that we're talking about. He's weeping because of the unbelief of the people. I believe Jesus also is weeping because of the far-reaching effects of sin and brokenness. And lastly this morning, Jesus weeps because the ones he loves are weeping. He weeps because of the ones he loves are weeping. Look back to John 11, 33, first half of 33. I, I, I love this. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping... When he saw her, he he saw the crowd. He was, I think, overcome with emotion because of the unbelief. And and I think the silent crying was a reflection of a deep groaning because of the brokenness of sin. But, But I love just looking back to verse 33. I think Jesus is weeping here because he saw the one he loved weeping. He saw he, he looked with his eyes and he saw the one that he loved. He saw her. He saw Mary weeping. He saw Martha weeping. He loved them. And this is perhaps one of the greatest attributes of our Lord on display. Right? No, notice, notice this is what those observing had to say, John eleven thirty six. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. You, do you see that? Jesus weeps and weeps in 35. He's overcome with emotion. And what's the response of the people? In essence, it's kind of of like this. Wow, look at how much Jesus loved Lazarus. Lazarus, can can you see it? You'd have to be blind not to see it. Look at how he is moved by this situation. It's obvious to everyone around Jesus in this moment that he loved them. He loved Lazarus. He loved Mary. He loved Martha. He saw her weeping and Seeing her weeping moved him to tears. Moved him to tears. I love what Warren Wiersbe says about it. He says, our Lord's weeping reveals the humanity of the Savior. He has entered into all of our experiences and knows how we feel. In fact, being the perfect God-man, Jesus experienced these things in a deeper way than we do. His tears assure us of his sympathy. Amen? He sympathizes with us. He understands our weakness. He understands our frailty. In the ministry of Jesus, if you were to define it, you could define it by many words, but I think a few that stand out is that he was overwhelmingly marked by his humility. He was overwhelmingly marked by his humility, by his love, by his compassion, by his servant's heart, by his care for people. Would you not see, see that? This is who Jesus was. How does he feel How does he feel about the sorrow of his creation? Well, I think we're seeing it in John 11, how he feels about the sorrow of his creation. But how else do we see? I think you can look all over Scripture and see the the reasons why Jesus can understand us. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. Speaking of Jesus, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God... He's our great high priest. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our, you can say it with me, weaknesses. So what do we see here in Hebrews 4? Jesus is our great high priest. He is our representative. He is our mediator. And he sympathizes with our weaknesses, with our pain, with our sorrow, with our grief, with our situation. He's moved. He weeps with us. Because this is who he is. He's a man of compassion. Why, Why does he sympathize with us? How is he able to sympathize with us? I think another scripture that gives us the answer is Isaiah 53. Listen to this about our Lord. This is why he sympathizes with our weaknesses. Because he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. This is why our Lord sympathizes with our weaknesses. Because he was willingly subjected, Jesus willingly subjected himself to the rejection, abuse, slander, and hatred of sinful men. So that he could bear our sorrows and our grief. This is why Jesus can sympathize with us because he who is perfectly innocent, the perfectly innocent son of God, was abused and slandered and beaten and mocked for us. And we are not perfect. We are not perfectly innocent, and we walk through grieving and trial and pain. Can you imagine being perfectly innocent, being slandered and abused? Can you imagine not being guilty of any sin and being wrongfully accused? Can you imagine the grief and the sorrow and the pain? This is why Jesus can sympathize with our weaknesses, because what he experienced was infinitely greater than what anything that we could ever experience. So he can understand what it means to be broken. He can understand what it means to be rejected. He can understand what it means to walk through pain. He can be our high priest. He can pray for us. He weeps with us. He intercedes for us. He knows what we walk through. God became man to walk among his creation, to feel what they feel, to hurt like they hurt, to absorb the payment that sin demands so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be healed, totally healed, totally whole, and completely free, amen? When I think about Jesus and this reality of his humanity, I can't help but think about the prodigal son, You know, Jesus was the exact imprint of the Father. Jesus told the disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When I think about Jesus, I think about the prodigal son and the parable that he told. Uh, This is what I think about Jesus. He will go after and run after those who are lost, right? When we've gone away and we've blown it and we've wasted our life and our money on riotous living and sinful living, who is our God? He's the one who chases the prodigal son and interrupts his repentance speech. And restores him. When I think about Jesus, I don't just think about the prodigal son, I think about the woman caught in adultery in John chapter eight. You remember that story? She's at the, the mercy of her accusers. What does Jesus do? He says, "Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more." Put your stones away, you have you without sin cast the first stone. When I think of Jesus, I think of the prodigal son, but I also think of the woman caught in adultery, and I think about the accusation against Jesus. What was his 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 reputation? I think about the tax collectors and sinners. They said he eats with tax collectors and sinners. He, he's, he's a sinner. He's a, he's a drunkard. That's what I think about when I think about Jesus. I think about Jesus. When I think about him, I think about his love for the rich young man who loved Money more than he loved him. You remember that story? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Obey the commandments. You, 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 you got it right. But there's one thing you lack, young man. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. Then come and follow me. And, and Jesus set his eyes on him as he looked. It says he looked on him and he loved him. In spite of his idolatry, in spite of his love for money more than Christ. When I think about Jesus... I think about the leper. You remember the, the leper who had leprosy all over his body and he goes before Jesus. He, he risks ostrace, being ostracized from the Jewish community. He risks being outcast from society because lepers had to stay segregated and separated from society because of their uncleanness. And he goes and he finds Jesus and he's begging for Jesus. He says, he says Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And when I think about Jesus, I think about our Lord who stretches out his hand as a clean man and touches the unclean man and says, I am willing, be made clean. Think about the prodigal son, the woman in adultery, tax collectors and sinners, and the rich young man and and the leper. I think about the countless people that he healed and fed and cared for. I think about, when I think about Jesus... I think about his patience and love for his disciples who continually got it wrong. Aren't you grateful for a Lord who is patient with disciples who continually get it wrong? We're in good company, are we not? When you read the Gospels, don't judge those disciples too harshly. If, if it was Ben Buffkin that Jesus called, I'd have some funny stuff written about me because I got a foot-shaped mouth sometimes. I'd be, I think, a lot like Peter. When I think of Jesus, I think of his patience and love for his disciples. And when I think about Jesus, and I think about his compassion and his abilities to sympathize with our weaknesses, I think about the pinnacle of the demonstration of that, which is the cross. But I think before he gets to the cross, where do we see Jesus? We see him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we see him sweating great drops of blood. And we see him praying to the Father, and he says, Lord, if it is possible... Let this cup pass from me. But in the midst of his agony, in the midst of his pain, what does he say? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And then they take him, they arrest him, and they they, they hang him to a Roman cross. And what does he say? When he lifts up his voice, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's what I think of. When I think of our Lord, Jesus wept. He weeps over the unbelief. He, he weeps over the brokenness of sin. And, and he weeps for us because he's a man of compassion and love. And I believe there's two responses for us here as, we, as we're wrapping up here. Two responses for us from what we see in our Lord here in John 11. And they're both direct admonitions. Follow with me. Track with me, here's the two responses. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4.16, that's the first response. If you're here today, may you not sit back and wait in your pain. May you not sit back and believe that God doesn't care. He has shown over and over and over again that he loves you, that he cares, that he's waiting for you often Amen. to respond, to say yes. Yes to move towards him. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Why? Because Jesus weeps. Because he cares. So, so, so here's another response that we should have to what we see in our Lord. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Romans twelve fifteen. It can be so easy for us to lack empathy for those who are suffering around us. Why? Because our life is currently okay. May we weep with those who weep. May we have the empathy of Christ. Are we Christians here today? May we have the empathy that our Christ had towards us. May we sympathize with those who are broken. So Jesus weeps. What did we see? What we sought to answer the question, why does Jesus weep in John 11? I think he weeps over the unbelief of people. He weeps over the effects of sin. and He weeps because the ones he loves are weeping. I want to conclude with this. One amazing implication of the doctrine of the humanity of Christ and how it still impacts us today what about the doctrine of the ascension you guys ever studied the doctrine of the ascension what does that mean the doctrine of the ascension Jesus was born of a virgin right he lived a sinless life he was crucified on a Roman cross he was buried and rose three days later and then what happened after the resurrection in the book of Acts what does it say He ascended. He ascended. Look look, look at the account to that, Acts 1, 9 through 11. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Ascension into heaven. In the same way you see him go up is the same way he will come down. Two things that will be the same way. When Jesus ascended, his physical body just didn't disintegrate into a spirit and he's in heaven. No. What we know, the doctrine of the ascension tells us that the same way he went up with the physical body is the same way he is now. And it's the same way he will come back as Jesus, the God-man. Amen? And he's going to come back in the clouds. That's the other way that's the same way. He's coming back. Have you you been waiting for him? What what does this ascension of Jesus tell us today? The same way he went up, the same way he comes down. Jesus is the God-man right now. What does that mean to us? I think it's so relevant. Listen to what Dane Ortland says in Gentle and Lowly, his book Gentle and Lowly. I love what he says here about it. Jesus went into heaven with the same body of his earthly ministry. His humanity once taken on will never end. One implication of this truth of Christ's permanent humanity is that, when he, is that when we see the feeling and passions and affections of the incarnate Christ towards sinners and sufferers as given to us in the four gospels, we are seeing who Jesus is for us today. Amen? Amen. We see, what we see in John 11 of our Lord in Mary and Martha and Lazarus' day is who he still is today. Amen? It's who he is today, right now. When we see Jesus' compassion and tears for people in ancient Israel, because Jesus remains truly God and truly man, we can be confident that he is the same towards us in his character and nature. And that's good news, because a God who weeps in John 11 is a God who weeps in 2023 at Living Word Church for you and for me. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads?